0: Hello, and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com.
1: Hi, I'm Gertrude Whalen, Swansea City fan, and also a member of The Jackcast, uh, Swansea City fans' number one podcast. If you want to find us, go to Twitter at The Jackcast.
2: Uh, Richard Burns, Manchester City fan, and also a member of the Blue Moon Podcast. Um, you can find at twitter.com slash um and a writer for typicalcity.org, which you can also find on Twitter at twitter.com slash typicalcity.
0: Great, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, of course, we have Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs this week. Gitto, we'll start off with you and Swansea, who have the double good news of pulling off a win and potentially getting a striker not named Buffett, Timmy Gomes?
1: Yeah, it's been a very, very, very long time since um, I I felt so positively about the Swans, if I'm honest. Uh, And when you're down by the relegation zone, it's amazing the difference that two wins in a row can make. Uh, It's the first time that we have won back-to-back games this season. Um, uh, Both of them against poor teams, it has to be said, but we've, Slipped up this season against poor teams uh, in the past, so it was nice to see us take on uh, Watford and Everton and win uh, the Watford match was a Monday night one. Some fans were calling it a must win um, i, w- I wasn 't quite putting as much emphasis on the match as that, but we um, it, it was a generally solid performance uh, wasn 't too entertaining, but we um, we won our individual battles um, got got the goal and uh, and managed to hold on um, and it was a nice little relief. And then we went to Goodison Park, which is a bit of a... Well, it's not just a bit of a bogey round. It is a, a bogey round for us. We've never, we'd have never we never actually beaten Everton in the league, full stop, home or away in our entire history um, before this weekend. Uh, our, hist- our recent history against Everton is pretty terrible. We, we get the odd draw, but generally we lose against them. Uh, and we weren't very hopeful, even though Everton haven't been on the best of form. Um, but we went there, and um, thanks to... Um, a very determined effort from us and uh, no shortage of gifts from everton uh, we managed to win um i, I mean we I, i'm not quite sure how we won because it it, it it may have had more to do with everton than with us if i'm honest but you know again like i said at the start i don't mind that at all um we played pretty well on the whole um and took advantage of everton's weaknesses um which uh, and if any other team are playing against everton i think They'll be looking they should look at us and see you know that that 's the level that you need to to beat at at the moment it 's not a high threshold um, but yeah it 's given us a real big boost after the arrival of Guido Lin. um he 's settled in nicely he 's very very um uh, he 's very likable um, so far a little bit on the defensive that's the that 's the idea that 's the sort of vibe that we 're getting at the moment but it, it's it, he 's settled in very very well. Um, he had a press conference today which he started off in Welsh which um, made him instantly fit in and uh, uh, got, got him a lot of kudos um, and uh, on top of that, like you mentioned we may be getting some new strikers in which uh, which we've so badly needed um, it's uh, pa- um, pa- uh, Poloski from uh, Kievu, um who uh, I've only seen in, in highlights I, I can't say that I'm an expert on him but um, he, he must be um, but he, he he does look to be um, a little bit better than what we've got at the moment. Um, he's got a bit of movement, but a little bit like Fabio Barini, who did really well here. So um, we're, we're quite positive about that. There's also talk now that we've put a bid in for Dwight Gale, um, which which um, well he looks a bit overpriced, but I think he could work here if um, um, if, if we can find the right system to to suit him. Um, but at least then if we do get both of them we've got options um, and that's something we have not had at all up front it could also mean the departure of Baffert, Timmy Gomez I think if we do get two strikers in before the end of the window very few people will shed a tear about that he's, um, he's had his good moments here but generally he is really frustrated this season hasn't been a good one for him on the whole uh, and um, if he does go elsewhere then um, as long as we've got the players to take his place that's not a big deal
0: Yeah, and uh, the big question in everyone's minds, you mentioned that you're finally uh, feeling a little bit better about Swansea. Uh, How do you rate your chances of staying up now?
1: Um, Yeah, well, two wins makes anybody feel uh, much better about their situation. Uh, We've now got a nice little four-point gap between ourselves and the bottom three. Nobody's pretending that we're out of trouble. Nobody's pretending that it's... You know smooth sailing from year on, but um, we've got we've got two winnable games coming up next as well. We've got West Bromwich Albion away, and then uh, Crystal Palace home. Um, West Brom we we beat in the most horrendous game in human history uh, earlier on in the season, and um, Crystal Palace um, do seem to have just really lost their way a bit it's a bit of uh pardew second half of the season syndrome um kicking in there at the moment by the looks of things so um hopefully we can take advantage of um that'll dip in form and um uh, and, and pick up a few more points if we can pick just four points out of the next uh uh two games that puts us on the verge of 30 points and at this stage of the season that that's a decent place to go if you're looking to stay um to stay up so Um, things are a lot more positive at the moment Um, I still think it's going to take a very high number of points to stay up this season just because everybody's taking points off each other um, and the the gap between the bottom and the top is so tiny compared to previous years so I do think we're going to need possibly 40 points to stay up this season so we've got a long way to go but two wins in a row just makes things seem so much better it really does
0: yeah, and to your point there, Gitto, Leicester on 47 points is, I think, the fewest uh, at this point in the season, or at least in recent memory. Um, Everton fans, I just realized you might not want to listen any further, because we're going further <laughs> to further your agony as we talk to uh, Richard here about their win <laughs> in the FA Cup against that very same Roberto Martinez side. Richard, what was your view on that match?
2: Um, I hate to be pedantic, but the Capital One Cup, not the FA Cup. We have, ah, so we have our very disappointing <laughs> against weekend. Villa to come yet in the FA Cup. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought obviously um, it was not ideal to go into the game a goal behind um, having lost at Goodison Park and then to go further behind uh, when Ross Barkley scored was basically the nightmare scenario. Um, but I thought City actually coped with it brilliantly. Um, I thought by the end of the game, we were very much deserved winners. Um, and I thought what I was particularly impressed by within the game, because it is not something that um, I usually rate Pellegrini for, I was really impressed with the substitutions that he made. I thought um, each one changed the game in its own little way and uh, and helped um, further set his cause in the game. So bringing Navas on at half time for Delft to me, wasn't a particularly obvious change to make. But I do think, um, despite being... At times, a much maligned player. I think that Navas. Uh, oh, I think City are a better team with Navas starting um, more often than not because he provides a width, a width and a balance that we don't necessarily get when he's not there. Um, and he's. Um, it, it almost sounds like an insult, but he's so one-dimensional that actually you just know what you're getting from him. Um, and there is a side of him that when he's bad, he's he's pretty woeful. But more often than not, he's good and he gives he gives City a different outlet. Um, so that was a great change, bringing De Bruyne on again, uh, just just for the initiative that we were uh, and the, the foothold that we were having in the game at that point. His cross for Aguero's header was um, just so good, and obviously from Everton's point of view, it was dreadful defending. Aguero never should have been as free as he was, but for De Bruyne to just put the ball on his head um, was superb. And then the Fernando change made sense uh, when he came on just to to shore things up and. Helped try and nullify that um the little last minute threat that Everton were bound to have because they they had to, they had to try and force the issue. Um I I hate to be ungracious, but I cannot think of a more satisfying way to have um got the second goal than for it to have been a little bit dubious. Um because clearly when Sterling cut the ball back, it was out of play. Mm. Um and I don't normally revel in those kind of things. But when in the two occasions that we've already played Everton this month. We had, like objectively, a clear penalty turned down in the first leg when Navas was fouled. And then, objectively, the clearest penalty ever turned down when Sterling was fouled in the league game. And Roberto Martinez had, as is the case with most managers, um, he had a very different view on it to everybody else in the world by managing to either not see the penalties or think that they weren't. Um, and so it was... There was a little bit of schadenfreude yesterday, I think, for a lot of City fans to hear Martinez talk about how hurt he was by a bad decision in a semi-final and how scandalous it was that a semi-final could be decided by a um, referee not spotting something, which, from our point of view, we would have probably argued the same had we gone out by a goal. And Navas, had, knowing that Navas had not got the penalty in the first like I understand that managers very often um, will only see decisions in their own team's favour, but for... That to swing so quickly you know, in the space of three weeks for Martinez was definitely, um, like I say, a good element of Friday on our part. I greatly enjoyed it. I'm sorry to Everton fans if that sounds really um, ungracious. We already um, told them because,
0: to tune out. If they heard it, it's yeah, their problem.
2: Um, and the reason it sounds ungracious, I'm fully aware, is because it is. But um, it's not against <laughs> Everton. It's purely a Martinez thing. Um, but obviously, I was really, really happy. It, it means that City will now, well, now have played at Wembley every year since two thousand and eleven. Um granted last year it was only the community shield against Arsenal and that was a game better forgotten. But um it's still a, a record that um the vast majority of City fans remember a club that were um pretty abject and renowned for failure. So it's still no matter how often it happens, there is still that pinch-yourself-to-believe-it element, I think, for a lot of City fans, certainly for myself. Um, and you just have to to revel in being involved in these occasions when for so long it was something that was um, only achieved by the bigger clubs um, and something that was so far away and out of our reach. Um, so, yeah, a very, very satisfying evening, all told, and a, a relatively satisfying week because at weekend we had a, a decent point at West Ham. It could have been better. Um, Lots of things went wrong in that game that were of City's own accord. But um, I don't think many teams will turn their nose up at a draw at Upton Park this season. So uh, feeling pretty positive, certainly more positive than the last time I was on a couple of weeks ago. Mm.
0: Yeah, uh, obviously the one downer from that is the De Bruyne (laughs) injury. Uh, Looked much worse live than the reports we're hearing that it could be six to eight weeks. You play Leicester, Tottenham and Liverpool over that period. What's your immediate reaction to A, the injury, and B, how do you think it will affect the team going forward?
2: It's obviously, um, it's a very unwelcome, for however long it's going to be, you know, it does prove to be six to eight weeks, it's a very unwelcome absence because he's a a magnificent footballer and he's stepped right into the team this season and instantly looked like he's been playing there for a decade, he's um, magnificent, so we're losing somebody who is Pretty much, you know, you look at his stats, if that's how you view the game, is guaranteed an assist or a goal a game the way he's playing. Um In terms of how we'll cope without him, it will offer us a chance to, it will offer you know, uh, Pellegrini a chance to go back to the way he was playing at the start of the season um, just before we signed De Bruyne when we had Sterling in, uh, sorry, we had silver in the middle of, um, a, an attacking three behind Aguero and Sterling on the left of that, and Navas on the right, and teams were really struggling to cope with that. And there is an argument, and not one that I necessarily give much credence to, but there's an argument that having De Bruyne and Silver in the team does it, it causes City to be a little bit more unbalanced um, than if you have Sterling and Navas sort of flanking Silver and Aguero. So I can I can see that point, and there is reason for optimism despite losing. Uh, a great player um but i would expect us to go to or to be using a bit more width we've become very narrow in recent weeks and and um, we've got away with that in, oh, well more than got away with it in certain games it was um particularly effective against crystal palace when delph ran the show from the center but i think in general having that width massively helps city i think it gets the best out of uh certainly out of sterling and it allows Navas to come into his own because i think he's a as I said earlier, a a massively underrated player uh, overall.
0: Yeah, I actually uh, went through as soon as the injury happened because I started a a model, if you will, of how Mm. teams could finish the season based on, uh, very American term strength of schedule for the rest Mm. of the season. And uh, still have, despite the injury, City finishing title winners on just 80 points, Arsenal 79, Leicester and Tottenham on 73. So... I could just be very wrong, uh, but that number would have been higher had De Bruyne still been fit, but it would Mm. be a staggeringly low final tally tied with 2010 um, when Manchester United won. But as Gitto mentioned in his Open, this season everyone's taking points off everyone, and that includes the big boys, hence the question about Leicester, Liverpool, and Tottenham, which will obviously be more difficult without a player like De Bruyne, but you make some very interesting tactical points. Um, yeah. What's the news on company? Is he hurt again? Not hurt again?
2: Well, I mean, whenever Pellegrini gets asked, he either doesn't, um, doesn't say very much, which is Pellegrini's usual way, or it's always, well, we expect him back in training or back playing in two weeks. Um, I take everything with a pinch of salt with regards to Vincent company's fitness. Um, he, I mean, there was a report, um, during the rounds that, he would be out for another six weeks, which you basically talk about as good as a, you know, a season-ending injury at that point. Um, so I think that caused Pellegrini um, to, to say in his press conference that it, it looked more like two weeks. Whether that will prove to be the case is actually anybody's guess. Um, I hope so. But then, unfortunately, the fact is that when he comes back, he's liable to breaking down pretty quickly anyway. So we're probably, um, I would say for the majority of the season... I'd probably expect us to be dealing, or to be playing most of our games without Vincent Kompany, sadly. But I really hope I'm proven wrong and I'm being um, overly negative on that prognosis.
0: Yeah, and I think an interesting point on that and other big injuries that are happening in the Premier League is these are oh, most of these players want to be fit for the Euros in the summer, so of if, if they. If in past years they might have pushed it to be back in time, this year players may be a bit more cautious. Um, For Tottenham, uh, we'll start off with stadium news. There has not been full approval yet, but Boris Johnson uh, said that a decision is coming soon and that the Tottenham regeneration is amazing. So that sounds pretty positive. Uh, As far as transfers go, Andrus Townsend left to Newcastle for $12 million somehow. (laughs) Um, But uh, I gotta be honest, the, the whole transfer saga was waiting for him to leave. There's a uh, much-discussed story on this show about how he almost came onto the podcast one time, Um, and it didn't happen because they listened to a fairly negative episode where we mentioned him, so I do feel bad about that, and then he tweeted out a picture of him leaving uh, Tottenham's facilities for the very last time. He's been at the club since he was eight years old, so now that he's gone, now we're starting to feel bad, but... Some people are taking that further and saying we shouldn't have sold him. And selling him for $12 million is a tremendous bit of business, regardless of how your heartstrings are, are plucked by this situation. So, uh, yes, it is sad to the extent that he's come out and said you know he expected to stay at Tottenham his whole career. But from a technical standpoint, every other young player at Tottenham improved under Pochettino. And he's the only one that didn't. And you have to ask why. There was hilarious tweets flying around like, if Newcastle play Andros Townsend on the left, will he duck his shoulder and run straight into the stand? I think it's possible. Um, but uh, anyway, I do hope he finds success. But getting $12 million for him, again, great piece of business. Uh, in, t- in terms of incoming players, the most likely is Moussa 2S Dembele or Dembele Mark II, as Spurs fans are already referring to him multiple sites saying that we were close to agreeing a five million pound fee and that they have relaxed on their uh, requirement of him being returned on loan, which would entirely defeat the purpose, uh, would be free in the summer. The reason why they would need to sell, because I've seen many people commenting that, oh, they don't have to sell him because they'll get uh, the fee that like Burnley will get for uh, losing Danny Ings. But if he goes abroad, they lose that and Volkswagen and Juventus are interested. So Important that we lock that down this January. Unfortunately, many people already saying, "Oh, it'll work. Look at what we did with Della Ali." And I think that is a very unrealistic expectation to start a player's career at the club. Another very similar situation to that: James Madison from Coventry. We have been scouting for a very long time, as have other clubs. We're not special, um, but uh, it is easy to sell youth players on our current setup with Pochettino bringing through so many of our younger players. As Coventry's manager said, they've received no bids, so I would assume that that uh, also counts for us. Um, And then lastly, Sado Barahino. I wasn't going to mention it because it looked like Dan was going to be on, but he's not. But uh, it looks like they're shutting up shop, and uh, they aren't going to be selling Barahino despite the fact that his value will continue to drop every window they keep him, which is only two more before he'd be able to leave on a free. So uh, very strange what's going on there. We're probably still going to pursue him until the windows closed, but their argument last time is they didn't have time to bring somebody else in, and they still haven't brought anyone else in, so hard to see that going through. Uh, We did travel to Spain midweek. Pochettino and the boys nipped over there for a vacation-slash-training session-slash-bonding activity thing. Uh, Led to a lot of rumors midweek. Harry Kane posted a photo of him flying in a private plane to Madrid and didn't explain why, because he doesn't have to, because he's a human being. But then everyone freaked out that he was going to go have negotiations with Madrid. But here's the thing. You couldn't publicly post that while you were under contract with a different club. Just like, I'm just going to go over to Madrid and negotiate a contract. That's super not how that works. Um, Obviously, he has not joined Real Madrid since. But it did launch a whole bunch of other rumors uh, of people saying that we were going to bring back some extra luggage. Wink, wink. Um, which led to a whole bunch of people freaking out about Sandro, who we've been linked to often, but we will continue to not buy because they still want a buyback clause, and they won't drop that. And even if they did, it would just be Fabregas all over again, and if he ever got good, he'd leave anyway. Or Mark Bartra, which makes no sense because he's currently the fourth best center back at Barcelona. Why would he leave to be the fourth best center back at Tottenham? Really not sure on that one either. Obviously, neither of them actually happened, so don't worry about that. Uh, We do still want to sell Federico Fazio But apparently Levy's holding out for 10 million plus Because why not when you've just sold Townsend for 12 Uh, And he, I don't think Fazio's worth that But to Spain, maybe late in deadline day A Spanish club may want to bring in, you know The Europa League winning captain of Sevilla Maybe we can put enough fancy words around it That people forget that he's kind of awful But he did punch Diego Costa that one time And we can all enjoy that Um, Alright, so from there, we will head into the topic, which has uh, been fueled a lot this week, with people saying Van Gaal offered to resign, and then him saying he didn't, and then the media saying, yes, you did, and then asking him about it, and then him saying, I won't respond to you, asking me about the quotes that you made up about me. It's all gone crazy. But my question for you is, do you think Manchester United have made the right call by keeping Louis Van Gaal till the end of the year?
2: Um, For me, like... Yeah. This this is dictated a little bit by availability of other managers. And I think, clearly, um, Louis van Gaal is not doing as well as Manchester United wanted him to do. Um, I think they would have, having quali- you know, got back in the Champions League last season, I think um, they would have banked on pushing on significantly this year. Um, the kind of money that they've spent... Is often not talked about um, as much as it might be. I understand it obviously does get um, it does get mentioned, but it could be used against him a lot more. I think he, he gets a pretty sweet deal with the press in that regard. Um, but his there are a very boring and distinctly average football team, which is not what they would have banked on at all this season. Is it 10, 10 league games in succession at Old Trafford now without scoring in the first half? Eleven. Is it 11 now? I mean, It's quite unthinkable for... I mean, one, a team that is um, challenging for the league or even for the top four. Or has... I mean, that's unthinkable for most teams that even have designed on staying in the Premier League. It's it's a really weird and bad record for United. Um, But they're keeping and depends on availability of other managers. And so with Jose Mourinho sort of lurking, I... I wouldn't be surprised if he if things don't buck up. I wouldn't still wouldn't be surprised if Van Gaal were to make way for Mourinho. They would ideally, if that's going to happen, I think they would ideally make that change in the summer. But I don't think it's still impossible that Van Gaal could go if a top four finish becomes out of the question um, because there's some very good teams, um, you know, really threatening to take that position from United, and they're doing themselves no favors in uh, in that pursuit. They're not going to win the league. They've taken a step backwards from last season. He's probably um, not really performing to much of a higher standard than David Moyes did. When you consider the factors like the the money that he's been allowed to spend, the uh, the players that he's been allowed to bring in that Moyes didn't really get the chance to do, um, and so Van Gaal's reign there probably is going to ultimately be uh, be deemed as a failure. Mm. Which last season you, I didn't see that coming. There was a point when. I'm sure you'll remember very well, Kev, when they, they they played Tottenham and then City back to I think back yeah. to back or twice in about three games, and they really looked like they were kicking on, and they've just they've regressed massively. And um, I'm sure, given that this is a, a night when I'm not being gracious, I'm sure you'll understand that as a City <laughs> fan that doesn't cause me any pain at all. But um, the it is strange to watch. It's really strange to watch them. I mean, I, I wouldn't, you know, despite my. Um, tendency to not enjoy watching united win they were always a team that I would put the tv on to watch as a football fan Mm. and now i wouldn't bother i genuinely if they're on tv i wouldn't turn on the tv to watch them um which is probably the biggest indictment i can give of them because i like watching football um
0: but if you turn it on you won't see any so well yeah (laughs) (laughs)
2: it's true um but to answer the question directly have they made the right decision to stick with him um Probably just about because the turmoil and upheaval that that would bring to United, and the the more it would damage their reputation of oh you know we're a club that don't sack managers, which was always um, which was never going to be true. They were a club that didn't sack the greatest manager of all, who would. And uh, to my slightly less gracious moment, the the most beautiful thing about United's demise over the last few years has been the fact that they've had to realise that actually. They're just another football club. It's mm-hmm. been really sweet to see that dawn on their family. <laughs> but but yep. anyway, that's um, that's less sensible chat now and me just being bitter. So <laughs> um, they've probably just about made the right decision from a um, maybe a business and football point of view, but I don't think he can afford for it to get much worse. And I definitely I think the reports that he's offered to resign have come from a lot of very well-connected journalists, so I do not buy his denial uh, of those stories at all.
0: Yeah, a couple stats to back up what you've said. Uh, he's currently three points worse than Moy's year, uh, and currently five points off fourth, ten points off the title right now. Gitto, obviously, you are one of the teams that has made a change mid-season. Are you looking at this move and thinking that they've done the right thing, or are you thinking maybe bringing in somebody else would have helped more?
1: Yeah, I, I think um, I think it's obvious to anybody who's looking at that situation that Fankal just doesn't. Fit in the Man United. I don't think he's understood the club or the league from the from the second they walked through the door. If I'm honest, um, he's had times where he's looked like he's adapting and starting to find his way. But I don't think, I, I I don't think no matter how long you give him, he is going to find a system that works and suits uh, the club or the squad that he's got there. I I I just think Man United are better off cutting their losses. I think they are actually terrified of of getting that reputation for just sacking managers. Uh, and, and you know, after all those years with just one man at the helm, suddenly becoming this this club that oh, sacks a manager anytime it doesn't go right. But the truth is, a club of Man United's size should be in the Champions League. There is no excuse for them not being in the Champions League. And at the moment, there is a very real danger that they won't be in the Champions League. And I, I, I think they're in a worse well. You, you said that they've got less points now than they had under Moyes. I, I think Moyes may have been lower down the table, but it was a much stronger Premier League that season. That was, um, I think, I'm right say in saying the season that City won the title ahead of that brilliant Liverpool team, and Chelsea were also up there as well. That that was a, that was one of the best Premier uh, pre Premier Leagues we've had in recent mm. years. Um, this is, you know, no offense to the two of you fighting it out at the top there, but it, it's quite it's quite a. Um, a bland and well, it's, it's, it's poor, the com- competition it at the is. top, right? Yeah, it, absolutely. It, it is. Is. Um, and, and United still can't get into the top four and they, they're drifting further away from it. Um, I, and I think the Champions League is hugely important for a club like Man United. And uh, they made the mistake with Moyes of just leaving him in place in this sort of it, it was almost torture for him. Um, being left in that role for which he was completely inadequate, um, when it was and, and they they didn't sack him until months after the Champions League was lost, and I can see them repeating that mistake with Van Gaal. And I'm thinking, wh- who does that benefit exactly at Man United? You know, they, if if it's that obvious that it doesn't work, and they've already thrown God knows how many millions at that squad, and it still looks out of shape, it still looks uh, inadequate, it still looks. Very misshapen and uh, and underwhelming. Um, I, I, you know they they're obviously not going to spend any more money on it in January. I, I can't see them giving him money in, in in the summer. I think they'll just cut the losses then if if they don't do it earlier. So what is the point exactly? Mourinho's waiting there. I I've said before I think he'd be a good fit for Man United. I I know a lot of Man United fans say oh he doesn't fit the 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 style of of the club and. But I, I think that's nonsense, if I'm honest. He's a winner, and he, he, and more than anything else, that's what United have been good at uh, under Fergie. Fergie wasn't, um, in my eyes, no, known first and foremost for playing brilliant, attractive football. He was known for being a winner, a guy who just won titles and won competitions. And that's what Mourinho is as well. Um, and, and I think it's a bit arrogant and... Um, um, overly self-righteous for Man United fans to dismiss Mourinho as not suiting their their club. I I, I think he's a perfect fit. And if, if I'm honest, if he went in there um, and started winning again and and start and he would improve the, the style of play. There's no doubt about that because the style of play at the moment is is appallingly bad. <laughs> um, so I I, th- I think they'd want him, and I think they would. Um, grow to love him, maybe not as much as the, the Chelsea fans did, but I, I think they would um, le- learn to like him, and uh, I, I, I think that the longer they leave Van Gaal in charge, the, the worse it's going to get for them, and they're going to miss out in the Champions League, and it, like David Moyes, they're going to be looking back and thinking, why didn't we sack him earlier?
0: Mm. Yeah, I, I do think it's um, strange that so many people are on the Van Gaal out train Just purely on his own merit, when every time a manager is sacked, the narrative is immediately, have they done it too soon? It just seems like regardless of what you do, you've done the wrong thing. Is there a right time to get rid of somebody if they had sacked him in January? Yes, they would have had more time to make the Champions League, but then everybody would be saying, well, what if he could have turned it around? And that it's wrong to sack managers halfway through the season, and that you need to see if they can turn it around. And why won't we give managers a chance to turn it around? Uh, and I, I'm just very frustrated with this back and forth that happens so often. But, I agree. <laughs> I think they would have been better off moving on. Um, so I guess really my issue is with the arguments constantly being pushed into our faces. I agree that I think Mourinho would do better there. The thing that I, I'm surprised by, and I do agree to an extent with what both of you said about him having a difficulty adapting to the Premier League... I think the far worse in is he's never figured out who his best 11 players are. He's been there for the better part of two years. That's very strange. And there have been very few moves, save for the ones that he sanctioned. Like getting rid of Van Percy and getting rid of Chicharito, you know, as they need goals. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's been very strange. What he did with the Dutch team at the World Cup was... Mm, I don't want to use the word genius, that's a bit far. But it was legitimately brilliant. That was a very mediocre Dutch side, as we're seeing now. And then the, the people like myself who had to watch that Dutch side the whole time, we knew that the drop-off was coming. There's a huge talent gap. I've talked about this before. There's like a four-year gap between the players that are already good and the players that should be good soon, where nobody really came through save for Ibrahim Afali. Um But... Uh, what Van Gaal did was he literally figured out who were my best 11 players, I'll put them on the pitch, it, it's some formation, it was very fluid and strange, but it was great, kind of reminiscent of total football, in a sense. Uh, and so coming off of that, I was very certain that he was gonna do well. I put multiple, uh, bets on with my friends over, cause we can't do it legally here, um, <laughs> Uh, that I thought United were going to win the league and that Van Persie was going to score 25-plus goals. And all of my friends said I was crazy. And they were right. <laughs> um, but I, it seemed that because of his history, because of how many clubs he'd gone to and succeeded, that one of the things he was best at was going and adapting. And and I think it was Gitto that was mentioning it. He just didn't upon coming to Manchester United. He never got the culture right. It seems like he's bullying the players when they need to be kind of coddled a bit, and vice versa. It, it just seems like nothing he does works, and it's very unfortunate for him to have come to the league under such promise and be potentially leaving, uh, obviously, without achieving what Manchester United hired him to do. Last season, finished top four. I'm not going to say just barely. The gap between us and them, I think, was pretty substantial. Um but this year, yeah, it's, it's not even close. Five points off fourth. What are we, 23 weeks through the season? It, it's just not good enough for a club that size. And you look at the money that they've spent on bringing in Di Maria, Martial, Depay. It, it, they've just thrown money at the problem, bringing in Schneiderlin. Schweinsteiger didn't cost a lot, but he's a person that automatically locks up a spot. And when, as a Tottenham fan, you see this, what we've done is we've gotten rid of all the Deadwood and then allowed a little bit of growth from the younger players who've then taken the positions uh, with fervor. And and you look at a team like Manchester United, what was the hope bringing in Schweinsteiger when there was already news out of Germany that he was perennially injured, didn't have the pace that he used to have, he was struggling to complete passes the way that he's had in his illustrious career. We already knew that. Us, as just fans, knew that. How then they thought that that was the solution when they knew it would block talented young players, pairing him with Carrick. There's no pace there. Pairing him with Schneiderlin, there's no pace there. And Manchester United is a team that Tottenham's had a lot of success against over the past few years because we have pace in the midfield. And the fact that that's yet to be addressed is staggering to me. They're playing Ashley Young at right back. I mean, I know the Luke Shaw injury was harsh. He looked like he was in for a very good season. They haven't really had Phil Jones and Smalling together, which is an arguably their best center back pair. But... Things are just so bad over there. Juan Mata in and out of the side, playing out of position, can't get his feet wet. We have talked many times, Richard, about how much we love Ander Herrera. Tremendous player. He's playing on the wing. I don't understand. I don't understand what's happening. He finally decided that he was going to make Rooney an attacking midfielder. He's not good there. I realize that he's not an amazing nine anymore, so I don't know where he's supposed to fit in. And then Martial, their whole whole season, is writing on how good can a 19-year-old striker be. Uh, I, it's There are very, very many problems. And I'm not sure Louis van Gaal's at the top of that list, but they can't address all of them uh, mid-season either. So I agree. Bring Mourinho in. Maybe he can get the attitude right. But he did lose the attitude at, at Chelsea, although there's that whole third-year thing. I'm not going to get into that. Um, but anyway, I just kind of got rambly there and got super off track.
2: To that extent, one thing hmm. that would be particularly interesting if they were to make the change mid-season and bring Mourinho in which is the manager that I think they will go for and will eventually end up there
0: mm-hmm.
2: he's never um, I think I'm right in saying he's never taken a team mid-season has he so that would be a very interesting it would be yeah um, a, a new direction for, for him to go in and see how he actually handled putting a team together mid-season with that short-term impact clearly he's good when he um, when he's made his own signings and he's a, a fantastic manager um, but taking a team mid-season and trying to re um turn their fortunes with limited time left, I think would be it would be very interesting to see. I fear that he would um adapt Mata to again? Adapt to everything, but um <laughs> it would I, I would uh almost like to see it. Almost.
0: Yeah, uh two stats that I meant to get into before I just started berating their entire team. Uh <laughs> tenth in goals scored, fewest shots on target in the Premier League. Obviously not what you'd want from a side with what should be a lot of attacking prowess. All right, and next up is actually a question that we had emailed to us. P.S., you can continue to do that, uh, or start, uh, if you're listening to this. Uh, the question is, how confident are you in your second keeper? Uh, we'll start off with Richard. Obviously, you're rotating Hart and Caballero uh, between cup and league matches. Are you confident in what Caballero brings to the table?
2: Uh, um, I'm quite 50-50 on this, Um He's not a bad goalkeeper. Um, And now I'm going to have to say something that I really hate saying about goalkeepers and and sets my teeth on edge when other people say it. He's a good shot stopper, but that is the least that a goalkeeper should be because it's literally the job. Um, (laughs) And so the the rest of the things, the command of his area and um, one-on-ones, I'm I'm not so sure I am fully confident in him. I think part of it, um, it comes back to he's not... He's a good goalkeeper. I think he proved that at Malaga. Pellegrini wanted him in for a reason because he'd worked with him and rated him very highly. Um, but I'm not sure he makes a good number two. And one of the examples again that, that you'll remember perfectly, Kev, was when you uh, tore when Tottenham tore City apart this season in the four-one. Caballero was massively at fault for... I think it was Tottenham's second goal. It was um, a, mm. a free kick that was whipped in.
0: And oh, came. yeah, and then came off and then came, buried it. If <laughs> yeah. by buried it, I mean chipped it awkwardly into the top left corner.
2: Yeah, he, he, he sort of came running and was caught in no man's land. And that smacked to me a little bit. I mean, obviously any keeper can make a mistake like that. But when you're only stepping in for one or two games, you really need to minimize um, those mistakes to maximize your chances of playing again. And he... It smacked it a little bit to me of, I've got to impress, I've got to catch the eye. And actually, that isn't what a goalkeeper's got to do. A goalkeeper's got to be there and start the ball going into the net in if, if in the simplest way possible. And if that means staying on your line instead of coming and be the hero, then so be it. Um, and, and obviously, I don't know exactly what's going on in his head. Maybe it was just a genuine misjudgment, but it, it did seem to me a little bit like, you know, I'm used to being a number one, I want to push Joe Hart, but then we are spoilt a little bit at City, um, in having Joe Hart, who has become, after his little dip in form a couple of years ago, he's re-established himself as one of the best keepers in the world, and I mentioned not trusting Caballero on one on one, but if you compare that in, you know, direct comparison to Joe Hart, I never expect Joe Hart to get beat in a one-on-one, because he's, so good at dealing with them Um, so by comparison Caballero's never going to quite stand up anyway that's why he's a number two Um, he's not a terrible goalkeeper his record for goals conceded in games he's played i mean, it's far more than one a game it's actually quite ridiculous it keeps very very few clean sheets so I'm not sure he has the mentality to be a number two but he's not in himself a bad goalkeeper but he's not going to get a run in the team so he's going to have to keep on being a number two um he's going to play in a cup final soon i, I hope his um his mind is set for that but do i have confidence in him is yeah i can only say i'm 50 50 i'm okay with him shot stopping but he's got to be able to do that anyway it's a bare minimum
0: yeah, kind of reminds me of, of when we signed Friedel to back up Loris and or no, that's not how that happened at all. Uh when we signed Friedel after Gomez and uh it was what we wanted cuz Gomez was so inconsistent. He'd have an amazing save and then let a dribbling shot into mm-hmm. the net. And then Friedel came in and he stopped everything that he should have, but obviously couldn't stretch to get uh the more difficult saves. Um Gitto, uh Obviously, Fabianski, amazing last year, not been as great this year. You've just sent Tremel out. What, what's your take on your current goalkeeping situation?
1: Yeah, Fabianski hasn't been as good as he was last year. He was amazing last year. He, he really had a brilliant debut season. This season, like for everybody in the squad, really, there's been a dip. Um, he, he's been at, at fault for a few goals where he just, you, you feel, could have done better. But I don't think there's a pressing need to um to get him out the out to the team. I think when you drop your goalkeeper, it's a massive, massive decision. And and I don't think we're close to that point. Um, especially at the moment um when you know things are starting to starting to move in an upward trend. Um in terms of Christopher Nordfeld, we only signed him in the summer and we have had only limited glimpses of him in, in the cup competitions. Um I, I, I was at Oxford Get a match which i never ever wanted to discuss again but um <laughs> i'm forced to do now uh, i was at oxford a few weeks back uh, for the fa cup match and we conceded three goals um but but he wasn't at fault for any of them uh, and he pulled off one or two very good saves there and moving uh, <laughs> over what you know, richard there really um yeah he's a good shot stopper by the looks of things you know but um i think that actually emphasizes one of the problems um that that just goes hand in hand with being a substitute keeper. I think the, the shot stopping you 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 can practice that in training pretty well, and you, you know that's your bread and butter as a goalkeeper. Uh, and I don't think that ever goes away. It, it maybe you know you, you know you may improve slightly or maybe just drop off slightly, but um, generally shot stopping stays the same all the time. I think. What you don't get as a substitute keeper is the regular practice of dealing with corners, dealing with set pieces, where you actually have to battle against awful, niggly opposition players who stand in your way, who'll stick an arm in your chest, who, who'll do all that grubby stuff. I don't, you, you can't replicate that in practice, in training, no matter how much you try. So when you're then... Thrown into the first team, and you do have to put up with that kind of stuff, and you do have to put up with, you know, cleverly worked set piece movements and, and play, you know, players who are just set up to block you and irritate you. That's that's the biggest challenge, and I think that's the same for pretty much every club in this in this division. I think that's the main concern, that most most fans would have when that when their reserve keeper, um, you know, is thrust into the first team. I'm um, I, I, as Second keeper, you know, reserve keepers go. I'm, I'm pretty confident that if Nordfeld was needed, um, he, he'd be able to do a decent job um, over a short term basis. I, I definitely think, I mean, last season we had Gerhard Tremo as our number two and uh, he, he didn't he didn't fill us with confidence when he got on the team we, we, He always looked like he was going to make a mistake. He was i think thirty eight last season, so you know he was getting on a bit and he had he he has been a very good backup in the past um uh, um and there's a little sadness in seeing him go because he's a nice guy and uh, he's been good around the club um but but i have more far more confidence in Nordfeld to um to to deputize effectively than I had in Tremor. and we have had some um the, the reserve goalkeeper one's been a bit of a difficult one for us in the past because we have struggled to entice keepers who are who are good enough to step up to the mark when needed, but will settle for a place on the bench. Um, it, it's a, you know it's it's easy for Chelsea to bring in Begovic and pay him, um, God knows how much every week to to sit on the bench. It's a lot more difficult when you're Swansea and trying to entice these these keepers. But generally speaking, I'm quite I'm quite happy with Nordfeld at the moment.
0: Yeah, uh, Tottenham's current number two, somebody that you're also familiar with, Gitto in Michelle Vorm, um, I think that he suffers massively from being second to Hugo Lloris, kind of like what Richard was saying after Joe Hart, where Michelle Vorm is a perfectly decent keeper, a solid 6.5 or 7 out of 10, it's just when you have a 9.5 to 10 as your number one, you, you judge them much more harshly. But I, I, I think that Vorm gets a lot of really inaccurate stick for us. He did have the really big blunder last year against Leicester. Uh, but I think people, as I already mentioned, uh, soon forgot that uh, we used to have Aurelio Gomez at our club, who has been doing an excellent job for Watford, by the way. So if you've only been watching the last year or so, this will not make any sense to you. But... Um, I, I like Michelle Vorm the, the best thing about having Michelle Vorm at the club Instead of having Brad Friedel Who first of all is like 72 um, But also uh, The best thing about when we brought him in Is that we no longer have to change our playing style Based on which keeper is in net Vorm not as mobile as Hugo Lloris But he's perfectly capable of playing in a sweeper-esque role Which allows us to play our style He's a little shorter than Lloris And Lloris isn't one of the bigger keepers out there to begin with um, but yeah, I, I don't understand a lot of the issues people have with him. I think it's very hard for a player that, A, isn't already as talented to then, B, come in and perform with the same level of confidence as your number one. Also, as Richard was saying about uh, Caballero, that not only is there a talent gap, but there's also an experience gap, because one of them sitting on the bench, and we don't rotate as much between the cups. Michelle Vorm did manage to start. Uh, in the FA Cup recently But we've been largely playing Hugo Lloris Even in the Europa League this year As opposed to last year when we had a full split So is playing even less often um, So I, I have been pleased with him And we did keep a clean sheet The 2-0 against Leicester Although it was kind of their B-side But also to be fair It was also our B-side um, But all in all I don't have many problems with Vorm I think we're lucky to have a player of his experience As our second keeper would we be in trouble without Lloris? Yes. But I think very few clubs would not be in trouble if they lost their number one. Um, for some reason, the one counterpoint that's immediately leaping to mind being West Brom, who got, get to constantly decide between uh, Myhill and Foster, who I think are both very decent keepers. Um, or uh, Southampton, where Stecklenburg has actually looked decent, and now Fraser Forster has come back into frame. Uh, but anyway, yeah, no issues with Michelle Vorm. A lot of Tottenham fans want to string him up for sins of last year, but I have no problem with him uh, being our second overall. Although, uh, as we saw last year, uh, Vorm does not get to keep his place in the big matches. I know it's looking like Caballero will be given that cup final. Uh, not the case for Vorm when we made the Capital One Cup last year. Hugo Lloris was in net. Uh, unfortunately, it did not really uh, net us. <laughs> Any success. <laughs> um, so sorry. Um, Alright, uh, we're going to move on to Player Watch quickly where we're going to briefly talk about a young player at our club uh, that people should start to keep an eye out for in the future. This was largely uh, prefaced towards the FA Cup, but I know, Gito, you aren't doing that. Uh, but uh, we'll start off with you anyway. Uh, who's a young player at Swansea that we need to kind of keep an eye on?
1: Thanks for reminding me that we're not in the FA Cup anymore. Um, uh, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if if there is one to keep an eye on, I think it's uh, probably Matt Grimes, um, who we bought from Exeter midway through last season. Uh, he's uh, an England under-20 international uh, a, a creative midfielder. Um, he, he's very technically uh, adept. He looks very comfortable on the ball um he um he's capable of scoring as well he's not he, he's not got a bad shot on him um he, he's uh he was a bit well We he, he's taken some time of course because it, he's very young he's about 19 years old maybe 20 now and he's leapt up from league two to the premier league which is incredibly difficult but um we are very hopeful that he can um before too long, really, um, start featuring a bit more. We are a bit surprised that he hasn't played more this season. We did think, after a few impressive performances at the end of last season, um, so he he was standing out clearly in the, uh, in, in the reserve of the under-21s team. Um, uh, you know, he was head and shoulders above everybody else. Had a few first-team games last season, did very well. Surprised that he hasn't had more league games. Um, played reasonably well against Oxford in the Cup. Um, in a team that was general, generally awful um, and um, I, I think with a bit of time he can become a Premier League player And um, apart from that I, there is no clear and obvious youngster coming through the ranks now who's uh, ready to break through
0: Alright, uh, Gitto. before we get to that uh, Kevin De Bruyne now quoted as saying it's probably 10 weeks uh, just initial mm-hmm. reaction
2: um, well, you know, it's disappointing. Um, because you don't let me say before, you don't want to lose your best players, it's quite an obvious point. However, um we have seen David Silva recently. I meant to say this earlier. David Silva since he came back from his injury has been uh well below the form that we know David Silva is liable to produce in. Um and it might it might force his game up a little bit and with uh, Sergio Aguero back firing and in his form where he tends to average a goal a game, if, and it's a massive if, but if he stays fit, then that can minimise how much we'll miss De Bruyne. But it's um, it's a big chunk of a season to miss and it's obviously a hugely significant part of the season. He's going to be denied, um, by the sounds of that, he's going to be denied the chance to play in a cup final in his first season back in England, which is a great shame. But um, I do have faith that City have enough... um, enough depth and certainly in an attacking sense to to deal with that and it might force Pellegrini into um into a system that is maybe more suiting of the players we've got and the way that Pellegrini actually likes to play
0: all right and we'll segue very easily from there to uh if players are going to start to get a chance you'd assume it would be Navas but do you have any young players that may uh, make it through perhaps via injury in the future
2: um Yeah, I'm really worried about going too obvious on this one, but um, I'll do it anyway. A player that I'm sure most people are familiar with by now, um, Kelechi Iheanacho, our Mm. 19, maybe just turned 20-year-old striker um, slash sort of um, off-the-striker kind of player, is just a magnificent talent. And I love that his middle name is Promise, because uh, he (laughs) has lots of it, and I'm surprised that... The tabloid journalists of this country haven't picked made as much of that as um, they might otherwise have done because well, they, they are, will
0: now. <laughs>
2: yes, they are given to terrible puns, so uh, expect to see that creeping in more and more as he develops. Um, he gives us when he plays; he gives us something hugely different because Aguero plays far better uh, with uh, with a partner. It's we've resorted at times this season to when we're getting frustrated lumping the ball up towards aguero and he's a player that's targeted by defenders anyway because of you know he's one of the best strikers in the world so when he's surrounded with his back to goal 30 yards out whilst his teammates are just about pushing beyond the halfway line it makes his job a hell of a lot more difficult and there's only you know the, the Mets and Ronaldo's of this world that you expect to to score from any situation. Even Aguero can't quite make the most of those. So he, he does play better when he's got somebody to bounce off. Um, he's had a, a great chemistry with the Um and it's I, I get really wary of banging the drum for our youth players because uh, there's a really strange um, a really strange part of the City fan base that are almost desperate to see youngsters over actually um, more to the detriment of the first team. They'd be quite happy for, the youngsters to be thrown in and for the first team to suffer as a result whilst the youngsters learn the trade. And to me, that's a um, a crazy notion. But I vividly remember genuine calls for Pellegrini to be sacked when he didn't name any, any kids in the first team against Sunderland in the Cup this season. And instead, we beat them 4-1 and three got to come on as substitutes and play in the later rounds instead of suffering a, a defeat that might otherwise have happened. So um, it's really hard as a City fan to, to bang the drum for the youth team because you risk, I think, being lumped in with people who... Um, I think don't have enough of an idea of actually the best way to to blood the kids, um, but Ian Atchou is, is a different case, and I think Pellegrini is arguably still a bit too cautious with him, and I understand it. But everything that he says, he, he's not—he's um, got no arrogance or ego about him. When you hear him interviewed, he's quite—he seems quite willing to bide his time. But there must be times when he's watching the team. Playing some of the the turgid and and bland football that we have played this season, and he must think that he could be on there making a difference. And the, the City fans are itching to um, to see him given a chance. Um, and in the the games that he has played, he's just been he's very rarely looked anything less than brilliant. Um, so, like I say, it's an obvious answer to the question of youngsters to watch because people are already watching him. But he's I'm really confident um, and really excited about what he's going to offer City in the future and I hope that with the the likely change of manager in the summer um, that the next manager will be uh, more prone to to starting Acho because it's the only way he's going to learn, he's ready for the step up playing in with the um, the reserves or the elite development squad as we officially call it, mm. um, That is he's too good for that level now, it might be fine for him to dip in there to keep himself fit every now and then but he's a level beyond that um, and City have got to make the most of his talent whilst he's He's still learning because you only get one chance to really develop him and mold him into what he should be.
0: Yeah, well, uh, it sounds like you prefer him over Bonnie, so just uh, give him back to Swansea, will you? Yeah, they could use uh, they could use Bonnie.
2: <laughs> They're more than welcome to to take him if it helps, but um, I don't hate Bonnie. It's, it's a real shame. He's not a bad player, but um, he's not working for City. So, yeah, if you if you want him, Swansea.
1: <laughs> Any chance was- you can give him back to us for free because we're a little bit short of cash. At we'll time.
0: just do like a six-month loan, man. I'd be happy with then that. Then City could reassess when they have a new manager. <laughs> yeah, maybe we could do a swap for Gomez if he's if he's going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. By all means. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking news here: Bonnie for Gomez, straight swap deal. Uh, I, w- I, wish, I wish I was. I wish the two of us were in charge
2: of our clubs' uh, transfer dealings at this point. I really do. <laughs> It, this is why I'm talking on a podcast and not in charge of any kind of <laughs> because I get to say things like that with no effect.
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh, Dan and I would have done the Barahino deal like two years ago. It would have been <laughs> so easy. Um, but uh, Richard, to your point, there's a famous American adage for sports, which is uh, for ownership groups, which is if you listen to the fans, you'll be sitting with them. Uh, yeah. Because you're no, about to super lose your job. Uh, but anyway, all that to the side. Uh, Bonnie Swansea, make it happen. Um, Alright, uh, for Tottenham uh, We have so many talented young players uh, But I'm going to stick with the format And pick someone that's not actually in our starting 11 yet um, And that is one Josh Onema Who is our most favorite sub He's come on 10 times as a substitute I think he got one start If memory serves uh, In the Europa League But um, Very talented young attacking midfielder He was supposed to be buried behind Alex Pritchard in the development train uh, Pritchard picked up an injury Like I mentioned, Onama coming on a lot now uh, And he looks so versatile We, we brought him on, on the wing We brought him in an attacking midfield role We brought him out in a deeper midfield role I think he even played up top for the last five minutes of a match one time And he doesn't look out of place at any of it And the fact that he's just 18 is, is honestly staggering um, Very much like Ali in the sense that he immediately looks like he belongs on a pitch with all these other players has a pretty big frame that he can grow into uh and is like i said another and kind of the pipeline for us um and paul mcdermott done an excellent job with the youth setup uh was offered the manchester united job and turned it down because he's built such a a solid foundation at tottenham that i guess he didn't want to uproot that especially at a club that seems to not potentially value youth as much, which does sound harsh, considering this year they're finally using a lot of youth players, although it could be to their detriment, unfortunately, for them. Uh, but yeah, very much like Onoma, I think he ends up being an attacking midfielder, um, whether that's on, like out wide, uh, I, I I don't think so, but he has the pace to do it if he had to, and I think that's why we've used him as a sub so much, is because he can pretty much fill Any position for us Uh, Another one uh, coming up I know I used to talk about Velkovich all the time But for some reason Pochettino hates him Uh, So the other center back up and coming Is Cameron Carter Vickers Who is uh, somehow American I'm very confused on how that all happened Um, But very very talented young center back Already has kind of the adult build and frame Uh, So hopefully uh, we'll be able to see him uh, With the big boy soon And it sounds like he will be uh, in the squad Against Colchester this weekend um, and, and hopefully we'll be able to see him for a little bit. Uh, still not sure how we'll we'll set up for that match. But we will very conveniently segue to that. Uh, where we're going to be talking about our upcoming FA Cup matches. Not going to say who isn't involved because he got salty <laughs> last time. Um, but <laughs> for Tottenham, I already mentioned visiting Colchester. Um, I wouldn't expect to see many of our starting 11. Uh, especially because we've been traveling this week to, to our vacation. But it is still travel. Um, I'd expect to probably see Sun up top though, as he's our only other forward-ish option within G currently out. <laughs> this is exactly the kind of match where Townsend might have gotten a chance, but he no longer plays for us. Uh so it'll be very interesting to see what we do. We might see Josh O'Mug get the start, actually, which I would very much enjoy seeing. We don't really have much depth on the wings. Lamela is our only option on the right wing. Uh Chadley and Erickson are our only options on the left, as Sun is currently being our striker. So that will be interesting. Hopefully, Bentaleb will be able to get a start. Maybe Ryan Mason, if he's back and fit, which he is apparently close to being. Wing backs, we only have two each. Center backs, we have Fazio. Maybe give him a run out if a deal's not close. But uh, Kevin Vimmer probably also in line to get the start. Oh, right, Ritongan's out for a really long time. <laughs> Completely forgot to mention that. Six to eight weeks for him. Uh, Kevin Vimmer looking the most likely to take that job. Although there have been some rumors that maybe... We drop Eric Dyer back into center back, but we already have a left-sided center back, and Eric Dyer plays on the right. Uh, And as Dave Hendrick is very fond of saying, a lot of people underrate the difficulty on switching sides for center back. So uh, I think that we will just be seeing a whole bunch of Kevin Vimmer going forward. I would obviously expect us to beat Colchester. I'll go with a cool 4-1. All right, and Richard, you will be facing Aston Villa. What do you make of that match?
2: Um, I'm hoping it's more entertaining and a better result than the last time we were there early this season when we drew nil nil. Um that was Remy Gard's first game as manager, so I think they had a the the smallest of new manager bounces that any club has ever had um in attaining that draw. Um clearly, I mean there's on on paper city win this every day of the week because um unquestionably they are a far better team than Aston Villa for two reasons. One, City are quite a good team, and two, Aston Villa are a dreadful one. Um, they have had a slight upturn in form, um, which makes me worry because City are um, also dreadful away. Um, I expect largely um, a first, you know, a, a, Ordinary starting eleven, a strong starting eleven for City, Pellegrini. He does, to his credit, does uh, always value the cup competitions very highly. Um, And in his two years with City, his only defeats in the FA Cup have been at home to championship teams. So until we get one of them, we're probably going to remain in it. Um, I think he and probably will start this one up front uh, with Aguero. Um, I think the most interesting... Potential for change comes at the back, where, as we've said, Caballero will start. Um, there's a big choice between Zabaleta or Sanya because Zabaleta is still, uh, for, for right-back, because Zabaleta is still coming back from injury. Um, he's looked good for fitness in the last two games he's played. Um but he is, like I still working his way back in and two games in a week might be a bit much for him. But uh, Bakary San has played a, a hell of a lot of football this season because of Zabaleta's injuries. So Pellegrini may uh, see it as a good chance to continue his rest and um, maybe if Zabaleta's flagging, that might have to be a change was made later in the game. Um, in midfield, I said this last time we were on, but we've seen recently how... Yaya Toure does struggle a little bit to play to his maximum when he's playing two games a week these days. Um, But he proved against Crystal Palace in the league that he can be fantastic off the bench. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was an option, which leaves the tantalising prospect of um, Fabian Delft being booed and hissed and called a snake for a full 90 minutes instead of five this time. Um, I've no doubt that the Villa fans will have their inflatable snakes out for him again, which... um, is not something that I particularly enjoyed last time. It was great to see them getting so irate when he came on, and then so nearly scoring the winner. Um, but hopefully they've, they've put that one to bed. He'll still get a bad reception, but hopefully the inflatable snakes can stay under people's beds or wherever you keep that kind of thing at home. I don't know. Um, so yeah, I think the I would I, I think Pellegrini probably will. Uh, leave Yaya out, which will probably give rise to starting Delph and Fernandinho uh, together in the middle again. It's great having Fernandinho back fit because he's a great central midfielder um, and we've missed him, which probably is Fernando to come on later in the game. And we may get to see that uh, the three creative... If we're starting Ian Nacho, we don't. It would be nice to see the three creative players behind Aguero, of uh, Sterling Silva, and Navas, I think Pellegrino will probably save that for the league game against Leicester a week after. Um, and who knows, he might play Iannaccio in the middle behind Aguero and still go with Sterling and Navas, uh, which I would be uh, very excited to see. Um, and if we're nailing on score predictions, we don't keep clean sheets, particularly when Caballeros play in, so we'll concede. Uh, I'll go 3-1 City.
0: All right, and with that, we are out of time, so if you have any projects you'd like to plug or want to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time.
1: Yeah, if you want to hear the uh, latest uh, Jackcast, you can find it at thejackast.com, uh, uh, not at the Jackcast, sorry, and uh, if you are in uh, West Wales, you can read my column in the Commanding Journal this week.
2: Uh, yeah, you can uh, read my stuff at um, typicalcity.org. I also feature on uh, the Blue Moon podcast, which is available every Friday morning, and I write uh, two columns a week two blogs a week for Yahoo Sport UK um, and uh, Typical City and Blue Moon Podcast are both already on Twitter um, both just Twitter.com Typical City Twitter.com Blue Moon Podcast
0: Yeah and I'm your host Kevin DeVries at Kevroff you can see player updates over at blog.playtoga.com you can also see a fantasy article over on the theeaglesbeak.com that'll be going up Saturday also the fantasy show FPL Roundtable will be going up with this Uh, on Friday, also because there aren't Premier League matches this weekend, but they are on Tuesday and Wednesday, so be sure to set your teams by then, although you should be hearing hearing from us before then. Alright, thanks so much for joining us guys, it's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening.